Welcome, it's On Mike with Jordan Rich, another episode here for you. And before we get started, the contact information, email address, jordan at chartproductions.com. That's C-H-A-R-T, the spelling. And the Facebook address is Jordan Rich Show. Also on Twitter, it's at Jordan WBZ. Well, today, I have the pleasure of chatting with J.P. O'Donnell author of Fatal Gamble and two sequels, Deadly Codes and Pulse of My Heart. All of these are Gallagher novels. He's the tough private eye, the center of attention in Joe's world. There was a feature-length motion picture entitled Bent back in 2018 based on characters created by Joe, J.P. O'Donnell, in the Gallagher novels. It starred Carl Urban as Gallagher, Sofia Vergara as Rebecca. Ooh. And it was directed by Bobby Moresco, Academy Award winner for Crash. He also wrote the screenplay. Now, Joe, or JP, is a former dentist and teacher of dentistry in the Boston area who is living out his dream as a novelist. His hero, Gallagher, has been compared to Robert Parker's Spencer by many critics, which is pretty darn cool. I've known Joe for a while and have become a fan of his work, and ultimately, he asked me to narrate all three novels, the audiobook version, so here's a little taste. Gallagher squeezed the trigger three times. The loud crack of gunfire reverberated throughout the house. A thunderous roar. Ah! came from the second attack. It probably got him twice. The man fell backward and slammed into the kitchen cabinets. Out of ammunition, Gallagher moved toward the body of the dead man near the bedroom door. He looked all around, trying to locate the dead man's gun. He needed this weapon. The second man could still be alive and armed. Then he spotted it, a Glock automatic pistol lying on the hardwood floor beyond the dead man's outstretched arm. Gallagher reached for the gun. Gosh, that was fun, and there's a lot more where that came from. So, J.P. O'Donnell, let's go on mic. Well, it's delightful to meet the man who wrote the words that I've been reading a lot. I've been reading them to myself, and I actually read them out loud, Joe. Thank you for allowing me to be the narrator of your three books. I was honored to have you do it. You did a fabulous job. Thank you. Always a treat and especially fun because the characters are so much alive and and thriving and exciting, and Gallagher, nonetheless, is the, the key one. We'll talk about him. But your position in life, for the most part, is medical. You are coming from a long and established career in dentistry. I was a pediatric dentist for 44 years. And you taught as well, right? And I was on the faculty at Tufts University in the School of Dental Medicine. I was an associate clinical professor during that entire time. Well, as we all know, a lot of medical people, the Robin Cooks, have gone on to write novels forever and be very successful. But was this always in the back of your mind while you were drilling teeth? No, uh, I never took a course in creative writing. And while I was at Tufts, I did the typical dental school writing, which, you know, grant proposals, uh, case reports, journal articles. But uh, one day, uh, a faculty member passed away, and the dean asked me to write a eulogy. And I did. And he called me, and he said, this is really good. Did, did you take creative writing? I said, no, never did. He said, would you mind if I published this in the Tufts Journal? And I was honored that he even asked me. And I said, of course. So he did. And then many months later, another faculty member passed away. And I was asked again to write a eulogy. And this time the dean came back to talk to me. And he said, you should do some other writing. This is really good. 
Hmm. So that bounced around in my head for a while. And my wife and I were in Florida. We were on vacation. And I was sitting on the beach at Juneau Beach. And I started writing some notes on a notepad. And my wife said to me, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to try something different. Now, when you've been married 35 years and you tell your wife you're going to try something <laughs> different, it gets her attention. She said, what do you, what do you mean different? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to try to write a novel. And she said, you don't know anything about writing a novel. And I said, you're right, I don't. But I have a, an idea that may work. And that launched my first novel, which is Fatal Gamble. Well, we'll talk again in detail about Gallagher and the novels and where the idea comes from. But I love the fact that you've lived and you are living the American dream of creating a novel <laughs> and having it actually published and then sold and then turned into a film. But it's not uh, a rocket to success in this no, business, is it? No, not at all. Uh, after I wrote that book, uh, I really tried to get an agent and was turned down by at least 50 literary agents. A la Hemingway, papering his room with all of his yes. rejection slips. Yes, right. And that's just how it was. They mm -hmm. said, you don't have any credentials as a writer. Uh, you're a dentist. Uh, you, you, you'll be busy with your practice or teaching when we want you to go to a bookstore for a signing. And um, we're just not interested. The fact that they actually hurt your brought up your age. They did. They they said, and you're too old. And you're too old. They wanted young writers that would be in their stable of writers for many years. And uh, <laughs> that was one of the reasons they turned because me down. What's great they about, were very blunt about it. What, what's so cool about writers is the more experienced and more life lived, uh, sometimes the better perspectives they have. But I guess uh, the young whippersnappers in the publishing world aren't thinking that way. You know, I went to a writing conference and uh, one of the agents stood in front of the, the audience and there must have been 250 writers there, all of them unpublished, all of them just trying to get into the business, so to speak. And he looked around the audience and he said, how many of you are writing poetry? And about a half a dozen people raised their hand. He said, oh, he said, I love poetry. Poetry is wonderful. But you know what? Nobody's buying poetry, <laughs> so you can all sit down. Then he said, how many of you are writing fiction? And at least 200 hands went up. He said, look at that. You have a lot of competition. Too much for me. Please sit down. Then he asked, how many of you are writing erotica? Four women raised their hands. He said, please see me in the hallway. I want to talk to you. People are buying that. Well, And that was a wake-up call for me that I was up against a lot of competition right, as a mystery right. writer. And You just told us a story prior to coming into the booth here about Michael Palmer, who's uh, sadly passed on, but it was a great medical thriller writer. And also, Tess Gerritsen, you met these folks at a conference on the Cape. Yes. And... It's a great story, first of all, about mentorship and camaraderie and being a nice guy, which is what he was, but also about the best piece of advice at the time he gave you about first lines. Yes. Uh, he said to me, you have to face the facts. He said, you are an unknown writer and people aren't going to go into a bookstore and look for your books. 
under your name. He said, they will typically walk down an aisle. They'll, something might catch their eye on the cover of a book. They'll then lift out the book and read the first line. And if you don't hook them on your first line, you've got no chance to sell your book. So I listened to that and I said, this makes a lot of sense. But then I was very pleasantly surprised when he said to me, I'm going to give you my email address. Go home and start writing your first line and send it to me every day by email. And I did. And I would get a response back, usually a one-word response, something like, nope, <laughs> or it, it doesn't grab me yet, something like that. And I did that for 30 days. I worked on that first line. And finally, on the last day, he said to me, now I want to read your book. And that was a great compliment. And I published the book and it did pretty well. Would it be okay for me to ask the author to cite that line one time here? At 6.30 in the morning, Dr. Jonathan Becker reached over and turned off his alarm clock for the last time in his life. I think I read that line a lot. And you did it, better, <laughs> you did it much better than I can. <laughs> That's so interesting, though, about a writer telling another writer that kind of tip. And it's actually very practical because I do the same thing. I look at the cover and then I read the first couple of lines and... And I can almost tell, because I'm an avid reader, if somebody's got it, what I'm looking for. Right. Yeah. Har Harlan Coben is one of my favorite oh, authors. Yeah, and he's the master mm. of a great first line. <laughs> Let's talk about Gallagher and the character. And it, it, it's very much uh, a hard-swinging, hard-living detective with a lot of angst. But he's so much fun and right. so interesting. Where does Gallagher come from? Well, interestingly, uh, when I was growing up, my father, who was a city firefighter in Scranton, Pennsylvania, had a best friend named Bob Gallagher, but no one, including his wife, called him Bob. He was just Gallagher. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me. When I was trying to think of a name for my character, I said Gallagher would work just about right. And well, has. people who from Boston are big Spencer fans, and I know Robert Parker's known worldwide, remember that kind of detective that was former police, very tough, but morally centered, you know, yes. and, and Gallagher reminds me in a very positive way about that kind of character. Well, he's the man every guy wants to be but he's also the man every woman wants to be with. And I stuck with that theme throughout my writing. In the three books, there is a continuity. So you have Gallagher and his love and eventually his wife and things happen. It's fun to write books and have the characters sort of grow in these right. books, isn't it? It, it is. And interestingly, uh, I spoke to a uh, book club in, in Boston after I finished the second Gallagher novel. Mm -hmm. And a woman stood up and she asked me, she said, what type of books do you think you're writing? And I said, mystery thrillers. And she shook her head and said, no, you're writing a love story 
because the relationship between Gallagher and Kate is what makes us turn the pages. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and I said, I looked at her and I said to myself, she's right. And when I wrote my third Gallagher novel, Pulse of My Heart, I made sure that I focused on their relationship. That drove that third mm. story. Excellent. I love that, that people interpret what they yeah. what they can and what they want to. Yeah. And that's the magic of art of any kind. It really, really does work. Right. Now, the locations are many of them here in the Boston area. Correct. And what do they say? Write what you know? <laughs> you don't have to do as much research when you're writing about the town where you live, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And um, the fact that you got a publisher after 50 or so shots, that must have been a great feeling. But what did that mean for you at that point? Well, I didn't get a mainstream publisher. I ended up with a self-publishing company, and I've used two of them. I've mm -hmm. used you know, iUniverse and Outskirts Press. And I'm very happy with Outskirts Press. They, they really put out a very nice product. The fact that I'm sitting here with a guy who had a major motion picture produced in Europe, I've seen it, by the way, with some A-list stars. And you told me at the time, you pinched yourself so much you, you needed Band-Aids. <laughs> exactly. Tell me how that happened because it's, it's an incredible story. Uh, after I published Deadly Codes... Uh, my wife's cousin, who lived in New York, uh, he he loved the books and he was great. Uh, and he gave my two Gallagher novels as a Christmas present to a guy who lived in his condominium building. And that guy read them, loved the stories, and sent them to a friend in California. That, <laughs> Six degrees of separation. Exactly. That friend gave them to another guy. Long story short, Bobby Moresco, who won the Oscar for screenwriting for the movie Crash. It was the best uh, picture in 2004. Right. Mm -hmm. Contacted me and he said, I've just finished reading your books. He said, I'd like to make a movie out of them. And that's where it all started. You know how difficult it is for, I mean, many authors are selling their, their rights to Hollywood producers and never hear a word. They Correct. just sell the rights and, and then it sits on a shelf. The fact that it was made so quickly. Well, it actually took a while. I met Bobby in 2012. The movie did not begin production until 2017. And it was not released until 2018. So it was a bit of a journey. It was a bit of a journey. But I'm thinking of all the authors I know and have interviewed over the years who have had 20, 30 years of books just yes. languishing. And tell everybody, first of all, the name of the film as it was released. The name of the film is Bent, B-E-N-T. And it was a compilation, right? Uh, was it a compilation of two books or one book that they well, tweaked the... It was primarily based on Deadly Codes, the second right. Gallagher okay. novel, but it did have elements of the first book in it in terms of his personality, his persona, right. basically. Right. So here you are, a, a very well-respected dentist and now novelist. You're sitting in a director's chair with <laughs> the name of the film on the back. Was your name on the chair? No, it was just a blue director's chair, and I sat next to Bobby Moresco during the entire time I was in Italy where they filmed it. They filmed it in Italy, but <clears throat> let's talk about who was on film. These are major right. stars. Tell us. Yeah, the lead actor who played Gallagher is Carl Urban. Uh, the uh, supporting actor was Andy Garcia. Oh, yeah. 
and the lead actress was Sofia Vergara. <laughs> well, first of all, Urban is an Aussie. Yeah. And he's actually New Zealand. Oh, he's in New Zealand. New okay. Zealand, yeah. And he's a he's been in everything. He's yeah. done everything. He's from, done like forty five movies. Yeah. He's yeah. he's very very prolific. Andy Garcia is an amazing character actor. He is. And I just want to know how it is to hang around so Sophia for a few minutes. Well, she's very friendly, uh, and unlike the TV character that she played, uh, she's very down to earth. Yeah. Um, a lot of fun. And she was very serious about this role. It was one of her first dramatic roles. So uh, she was a little nervous about doing it. And she did a very good job. And they let you there on the set observe and be on set. And did the actors converse with you at all about the characters? Well, actually, on the second day of filming, Carl Urban asked me if I thought he was portraying the Gallagher I created. You must have been, yeah. as we say in the that broadcast was. business, quelling at that point. <laughs> and I said to him, not only are you playing him well, you are the embodiment of Gallagher. And mm. uh, he, he was a, a great guy. And I, I had lunch with him many of the days I was there. And uh, so again, happy. very, very, very down to earth so guy. And Andy Garcia, uh, he gave a wonderful performance. You know, he's a great dramatic actor. Mm. And uh, watching him perform those emotional scenes, he had the most emotional scenes in the movie. Mm -hmm. And he was outstanding. Right. Let's go back to the writing and the, the, the method here, because I recently spent a little time on Martha's Vineyard, very little, and I was at the book fair. John Grisham was speaking, and he was mm -hmm. answering questions about his writing style. And someone asked him, uh, do you know where a mystery is going to go? Or do your characters take you there? And he said, so I was so glad he said this. He said, any writer who tells you that the characters determine totally where it's going is lying. You have to know where it's going. He says he writes the last page first. So I'm not asking you to give up any trade secrets. No, but I do the same. You, I, yeah. I, I write the first chapter and then I write the last chapter. Mm -hmm. And then I try to connect the dots to get to that last chapter. What's interesting about any book of yours or anybody I know who writes mysteries is with, you would think with all the thousands and thousands and millions of mysteries, every possible plot twist has been told. They're not true. There's always some other <laughs> avenue you can take. And that's how it was for me. I mean, I'd be in, in the middle of the, of the manuscript and I was still trying to figure out how I was going to get to the next step. And it, it, each book took me about a year. Right. Yeah. You've got three of those. Yes. More to come, Correct. I'm sure. Yep. And you also have moved into another area, which I believe is as challenging, if not more so, and that is children's books. Tell me about the, the new children's book that by the time this podcast hits, it will be out. Yes. Uh, my oldest granddaughter is now eight, but when she was two and a half, she had a very difficult time falling asleep and she'd be up till nine and 10 o'clock at night. And my daughter was literally pulling her hair out, trying to figure out a way to get her to fall asleep. So they were visiting us uh, one weekend and she said, dad, would you please go in there and either read a book to her or tell her a story, do something to help her fall asleep. So I went in and uh, her name is Alessandra. She's a wonderful girl. I sat down next to her. And my wife's mother 
had a feral cat that Hmm. came to her house every morning and she would feed this cat. And it was a beautiful cat and it was a gray cat. And my mother-in-law didn't quite domesticate her enough that she would come in and sleep in the house. But she came to the house every day and would sleep on the porch. And my mother-in-law called this cat Mr. Gray. And every day um, when my granddaughter would go over to visit my her great-grandmother, she would look for Mr. Gray. So I went into her room that night and I made up a story about all these different little animals who happened to live in a tall tree in the forest. And one day something happens to one of them and they have to band together to get some help to find this lost little mouse. And Mr. Gray comes to the rescue. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it has a theme of diversity, how all of these different animals live together in this tree in perfect harmony. And when they needed help, they called upon an animal that would normally be considered their enemy, Mm. a cat. Mm -hmm. And he was a large cat. But he turned out to be the savior who found this little lost mouse. Anyway, I told that story to my granddaughter. I made it up in about five minutes, (laughs) and she fell sound asleep after about three and a half minutes. The next night, my daughter said, go in and tell her another story if you could. So I went in and started to tell her another story I was making up, and she said, no, Grandpa, I want to hear the tall tree. Next thing you know, we have three granddaughters now. And they've all been listening to <laughs> the tall tree. The tall tree. So I contacted my publisher at Outskirts Press, and I said, you know, I've got these three granddaughters, and I'd like to give them a keepsake so that someday when they're grown up, they might be able to read that story to their own kids. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we think we can do that. And they asked me to send the manuscript, which is only like 30 pages. It's a short story. And she contacted, my representative contacted me and she said, you only want three copies? We think we can sell this book. So they hooked me up with an illustrator and the book is finished. It's coming out at, during the, probably the last week of, the uh, the end of the first week of October. It'll be mm-hmm. out. Okay. It's called The Tall Tree. The Tall Tree. Is it JP or Joe? That's Joseph O'Donnell. Joseph O'Donnell, Grandpa. Right, right. That's right. (laughs) But the Gallagher novels, uh, there are three and more to come. Uh, People should look for them. And JP O'Donnell. Correct. Is the name. That's it. And the website? The website is www.jpodonnell.com. By the way, I I like the JP for a a mystery writer. I don't know why. Thank you. Edgar Allan, E.A. Poe. I don't know. Just something about the, well, I, the I, initials. I, I wanted to distinguish myself from the Joseph P. O'Donnell who was writing uh, case reports. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's <laughs> there's a good reason to do that. So you're now retired from dentistry. I am. And you're not retired from life at all because writing is a is a is an arduous but enjoyable task, right? Right. I don't think I've told you this story, Jordan, but I'm writing – a book currently that I never expected to write. I was in Florida, uh, where we live. It's our permanent residence now. And I was actually getting ready to go out for a golf tournament. 
And it was one of these shotgun starts where every, all the carts are lined up and they send you off to various holes. Mm -hmm. And I own my own golf cart, as everyone else at this club does. And my name is on it. And this guy I did not know, about 80 years old, walks over to me and he said, you're the guy that wrote a book and they made a movie. And I said, yeah, but I'm getting ready to go out to play golf. I'll, I'll talk to you about it sometime. He said, no, no, I, I, I need you to meet me for breakfast because I want you to write my life story. Hmm. And I said, I appreciate the compliment, but I don't do that. You want me to write your memoir and I write mystery fiction. He said, no, I need you to talk to me. Uh, let's, let's set, you know, set a date. So I agreed to meet him later that week. We met for breakfast at eight o'clock in the morning. He brought some loose papers with notes scribbled on them. I spent two hours with him. And when I went home, I wrote chapter one. <laughs> this man was connected to the mafia in New York. He was not a made man. He was not, he never did anything illegal, but he grew up with those guys as a young boy. Mm. Age eight, his best friends were men who became the heads of families. And then during the course of his life, he remained friends with them. They went into crime. He went into a legitimate business with his father. But when they got older, into their 40s and 50s, they were under constant FBI surveillance. And they knew the end was coming. Something was either going to happen to them or they were going to go to prison because they had so many illegitimate businesses and racketeering, etc. They decided they had to set up legitimate businesses for their wives and their children. But they couldn't go to check on them because the FBI was watching them all the time. This man went to all of their businesses and did favors for them for years. He used to go to their homes for Christmas dinners, Thanksgiving dinners. He remained friends with these guys. He never judged them. They never tried to lure him into crime. They understood that he had his own business. And his stories are amazing. It sounds fascinating. When can we expect something like this to be published? I expect to finish it by the end of this year. And then I'm going to write a screenplay based on the novel. Excellent. And uh, Good for you. Good for you. You so know, the working title so far oh. is Living on the Fringe of the Mob. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Titles are important too. The one thing I wanted to add before we close out is you've explained it a couple of ways with different projects. Your inspirations seem to just, and this is the great thing about writing and about creativity, and I have a passion mm -hmm. for it. the inspirations come out of yeah. thin air, it seems. Yeah, it just happens. But I, it's, I it's such it. a magical uh, equation when things come together, isn't it? It is. Uh, I can't explain it, but I get an idea and I try <laughs> to run with it. It's simple as that. Well, you could be giving seminars on writers how to do it and the <laughs> seminars would be very interesting because you've worked so hard and, and enjoyed success so far and more to come. It's so nice to finally meet you. We've corresponded because I've worked on your books now for a couple of years 
And I, uh, I was excited about the fact that you were able to come by. Well, thank great. you for inviting me. And I want to tell anyone who's listening that Jordan did a, just a fantastic job as a narrator for my books. And if people who have heard them have told me how much they like and enjoy the narrator. I live a fantasy through you. Thank you. I am now <laughs> the guy that all men want to be and all women want to love. There you go. I'm going to stick with that. I am going Great. with it. Terrific. JP, Joe O'Donnell, thank you so much. Thank you. On Mike with Jordan Rich is produced at Chart Productions in Boston with technical assistance from Dan Tebow at Fast Twitch Media. Always appreciate those of you who subscribe regularly and download this podcast. And if you get a chance to review the podcast on Apple, I'd certainly appreciate that as well. Looking forward to our next get-together for great conversation. This is Jordan saying, as always, be well so you can do some good. Take care.